Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So you go first, because I'm really not sure what I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, I don't believe that. I mean, it's true. Sadly, <laughs> it's so true. Um, what is astonishing you? Yesterday, my child, Matthew, who's eight, and I were at home alone, and I was in my office preparing for a Zoom meeting, and he was down the hall, and uh, he, he came to the door of my office and asked, Daddy, did you call me? Nope. As he turned to walk away, he said, it was probably Jesus. <laughs> no, say, here I am, Lord. <laughs> Listen, that 30-second that encounter brought such delight to my soul. Mm. You know, one of the things that we've been so concerned about in our house is the mental health of our child in such a hard season. I mean, the pandemic began, what, the end of his kindergarten year, mm -hmm. and uh, he's now in the third grade. And so for most of his school life, it's been, you know, home, remote, or wearing a mask to school. It's been daddy school. Yes. <laughs> Poor child. It's been hard. And so when his default was, well, if it wasn't you, then it was it was probably Jesus. Um, I in well, several things went off in me. Number one, um, that my my child is developing a spiritual life that is mm -hmm. all his own uh, made me feel some kind of way. But also, I felt like okay, I'm not a total mess as a parent. Mm -hmm. um, and and so yeah, that that is just. Um, this ring in my soul, um, my, my, my child is hearing Jesus calling him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's so beautiful. And I, I think this is the point of this practice of naming what's astonishing us, because I think it's really easy, you know, negative cognitive bias. It's really easy to be grateful for moments, but not to practice awe. And so to just and I, I know that we feel the same way about this, that I don't, I want my children to discover the treasure in life that I found in Jesus. And I don't, you know, I love them unconditionally. And I understand that my relationship with them is not contingent upon their faith. Um, but I just authentically want that for them. And so when you, I think you get to a place where you, recognize that um I mean and you and I are both living proof that you know you you don't your your parents don't control this that the Lord alone controls this and so um you sort of accept that you you know just accept your limits in terms of what you can do and and trust that the sacraments are true of the character of God and the reality of salvation and so when you see this moment, these moments, you don't take them for granted, but you also don't try to manipulate and yeah. force them to happen and just sort of having reverence around. Um, I think I've come to realize lately just in um, interpersonal relationships, one big takeaway for me has been a lot of times recognizing that I feel responsible for other people's relationships, like actually um, 
most specifically my my husband and my one of my daughters were sort of in a I mean a conflict about something and I felt this deep need to intervene and you know it was so clear to me and I really it was one of those rare moments where you sort of have a thought and and you just are very aware that it's not from you and this rare moment of like you know I am not responsible for my partner's relationship with my daughter like he is she is I'm not responsible for that and so I can watch it and I can be a place of grace and I can um, certainly you know enter in as I am invited <laughs> by by either of them or by the Lord but mostly it's not mine and I think recognizing that then in church like I people come in appropriate ways to their pastor and say you know I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that and they're earlier in my life I would feel like okay this is my I need to figure out an appropriate way to fix this and just to say like, no, actually it's appropriate for me, for people to seek the counsel of their pastor. And it's also appropriate to, I'm not responsible for that relationship. Like God is doing something in that and I'm not God. <laughs> and so, and I think even when it comes to the people you love and their relationships with the Lord or the people you pastor and their relationships with the Lord, that that's not, I'm not in that relationship. So I'm not responsible for it. So I, I care and I want to be faithful to God and to the person, but I don't, it's not my place in the middle of those things. And I think that's just, it's really freeing. And then it also leaves you room to just be astonished when you see signs of the Lord's faithfulness. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's, it's um, awe producing to see God work in the lives of other people um, mm -hmm. that you love, that you are, and that because you love them, you want their lives to go a certain way, right? And so you are tempted to jump in when, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is at work and you want to be Holy Spirit Junior mm -hmm. to, to step back and say, okay, God is at work. I'm going to let God do what God wants to do in their lives. And when you, when you have enough spiritual awareness, maturity, whatever, um, to... Just let God do what God wants to do in other people's lives. And you see evidence of growth, healing, transformation. It, for me, it encourages, it affirms my faith even mm -hmm. more. Like just my son saying, yeah, it's probably Jesus. It's like, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it, because I think so often because we follow Jesus in a, in the culture that we follow Jesus in, it does feel sometimes transactional, like, okay, you've done this for me, God, so now I'm going to do this for you. And we feel responsible and we feel, you know, so then you just feel like you have to control everything and getting to a space where you recognize that you're not in control and you have, um, you know, you have a call and you have responsibilities, but you don't have, you don't have control and, and sort of, having that place to, to accepting that you don't have control does not mean you don't care. And I think sometimes it feels like that. Like, well, if you really cared, you wouldn't give up and you would, and, and coming to that place of recognizing that I have experiences with the Lord and I know the Lord to be good. Um, and, and I know that that 
experience isn't, wasn't produced by my character, but by God's character. So if I know and can trust God in my own life, then I can also know and trust God in, in other people's lives. And that's so important as a, um, as a, as a pastor in general, I mean, like as a person of faith, but as a pastor, cause I, I've been reading, um, the sermon on the Mount a lot lately. And, um, there's a phrase in the message translation that I really love the way he phrases, and I'm not going to be able to find it now. Um, but he, he's talking, you know, the part where Jesus is talking about considering the lily and considering the sparrow and, you know, the whole section about worrying. Right. And, and about sort of trusting that, you know, God knows you need to eat and God knows you need clothes. And if God, you know, look at the sparrow and look at the um, lily and they don't, you know, run around and they don't have a job description and the Lord cares for them. Although now every time I see a dead bird, I'm like, mm, <laughs> it's, it's a bad thing. But um, what, what Eugene Peterson in the message translation, which I love, um, so this is chapter six, 30, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? And this is the part I love. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Um, and I just love that idea of like, you know, the, the gloss for me is to say, just don't be so consumed with what you need to do and what you, how you could be involved in situations, but be focused on what God is doing. And I, that's just such a shift from the, from the center of your faith to the periphery of your faith in God. And it's really life-giving with family members. And I know so many people, especially parents with children, just feel like, oh goodness, if I don't, if I don't give my children faith in Jesus, then I failed as a parent and say, that's just not a gift that you can give. And also you don't have to live in anxiety because God is good. Um, we are planning um, a Sunday that we're calling um, Neighborhood Wellness Sunday. And on that Sunday, um, beginning of November, first Sunday in November, um, the folks the Walgreens Pharmacy next door, they're coming to our campus to give COVID and flu shots. Uh, I think we're contacting a, a psychologist uh, to come and just have literature around um, grief and anxiety and depression. And, you know, we're, we're just doing all these things around wellness. And so we were talking about it in a meeting last night. And um, the thought came to me, you know what, we should also have a bouncy house for kids right yeah. because part of wellness is joy mm -hmm. it's fun and so we were we were so focused on our you know things we need to do you know right. for adult wellness like no also fun is fundamental to um a, a sense of well-being in the world of of um if, well, if you're going to not be depressed if you're right. going to move past anxiety if you're going to be open to God's giving enjoy your life have right. some fun i mean i um i think i am i am famously and we've talked about this even today i i am not a naturally optimistic person i am a natural pessimist 
and um, that shouldn't make me laugh, but I don't know why. I mean, that... it's true. I, I just I am like I am very much. You're very Charlie like, Brown. This is this <laughs> looks good. <laughs> when will the other shoe drop? Yeah. Right. So, um, and I love um, you know, I was reading again, I was reading this today, and I, I like to read it in the NIV and then also in the Message because it just helps me um, consider things in a new way and. Um, he, you know, he's translating then the end of chapter six, which is, you know, more traditionally, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, which I, it's just a hard place for me to live in. But I, I love Peterson's um, gloss on that. And he's, you know, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come when the time comes. And I think, you know, it's not this promise that like, don't worry because nothing bad will ever happen to you. That's not the promise. Um, the, Which is how we often hear it though. Correct. Um, and, and if something bad does happen to you, 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 you did it to yourself because you worried and you call called it into existence or right. you weren't faithful or you weren't trusting enough. No, no. The, the promise is, Hey, can you notice what's happening right now? Right. So maybe instead of worrying, like my child doesn't seem to be in relationship with Jesus now, therefore they never will be. Or, you know, to say, no, right now what I see is X, Y, and Z. And here's, here's the things that astonish me as well as the things that trouble me. And to recognize that if you're worried about something, it is possible that it will not come to pass. But even if it does come to pass, it isn't passing now and when it comes the lord will be your shepherd then too right and i think you know that's just so helpful in orientation for me because i you know i'm dark side like i i can just i pre-grieve i can pre-grieve the heck out of things and just to be able to say like you know some things you know some terrible things might happen and god is still good and god won't abandon you and you won't be alone. And if they're not happening right now, can you bring yourself to awareness that they're actually not happening right now? Um, In that moment uh, that Matthew came to my office um, and you and I had talked um, just before that because I was stressing over mm -hmm. some things that might come up in the meeting and I was pretty anxious, which didn't, it didn't blow up the way I thought it was going to. Um, And as I was stressing, (laughs) about what might happen in this meeting, my child comes in and says, oh, well, it may have been Jesus. If, if it wasn't you calling me, it was, it was probably Jesus. Um, it, it did um, cause me to uh, see my own faith in a way that um, w- was humbling. It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I my think... child's default right. was, oh, Jesus is at work. Yeah, I think the reality is in, we live in a space where if you if something matters to you then you're responsible for it and to be able to say you know we we want to live a god-centered life but with an awareness that we're not responsible for god we don't you know um you know with that sort of even a faith of shadrach meshach and abednego like i know who god is i see where i am i believe that god is good I believe that God's goodness is going to work out in this particular way. But even if it doesn't, I'm still, it's okay. I'm still for who God is and against 
this empire of death and destruction and I'm, I'm free. Right. So. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the highlight bold print. You are free. I think someone, I mean, there's no such thing as a drinking game to this podcast, but if there were, it could be like, how long where, it takes. Where is this going? To, it could be like how long it takes to get from wherever we start to empire. Right? Like I. Okay. Got it. Okay. Oh, anyway. Um, so what's astonishing you? Well, I, I am. Um, there were, it was a really beautiful weekend and there were two moments that um, just really, I, I don't ever want to grow past the place of being astonished and just noticing what a, a gift they are. So, um, I was telling you before we started recording that, um, you know, this pastoring life is just such a, such a beautiful life. And, um, I, I really like people. I feel like that's just a spiritual gift that I have. And I really desire to be in relationship with people. And it's just deeply meaningful to me. And you come into communities and you're deeply connected with people for the season that you're in that community. And then, you know, season shift, like it just, it is. Um, and so I was, before I came to the Grove, I served another community in Charlotte and it was, a, um, I, I mean, it was just a very particular time and, and I am so grateful for that time. And I really loved people in that community deeply. And I, um, and also in some, in a lot of ways, it was a tough fit for me. And I was really still discerning who I was in the Lord and what the Lord was calling me to do. And, but I mean, it was, it was a really beautiful time. And, um, and I, and I worked primarily, um, or I worked with children and youth. And so that, that's always a pretty good fit for me. And, um, anyway, this past weekend, um, one of, um, the young people in that church, and I think she was in middle school when I left, got married and she had asked me to, um, officiate at the ceremony. And I just, um, it's really beautiful when you get a chance to circle back and share a moment like that in somebody's life because you you are in their life, you know, pretty regularly and meaningfully, and then you just you're not anymore, and that's okay, and that's okay. Um, but it's just such a privilege to be invited to um, to bear witness and to lead worship at moments like that to speak, you know, to speak words of life and to speak words of covenant and in moments of marriage and birth and death. I mean, those are just sacred moments. Um, and particularly I'm just grateful because a wedding can be about many things and it doesn't have to be about God. And so to be invited in to sort of say, Hey, not in a like finger wagging judging way, but like, Hey, how does this day and this, you know, marriage covenant, how does it connect to the revelation of who God is and what life is about? And so that's just, I mean, I really love doing that. And so it was just a real joy to have that moment. Um, and then on Sunday, um, one of the, um, I mean, I think he's probably 10, a 10 year old boy in our congregation. The previous Sunday had walked up to me after worship. Um, well, actually he had told his mom and then his mom said, well, you need to go tell pastor Kate. He just said, I really love being in worship because it's like being in a pool of the very 
best water of wow. God. Wow. And so he said that to me. And first of all, I just thought it was such a beautiful. It's really poetic. I mean, it was just so beautiful because I do think, I mean, that is how I experience that. If you, you're in this room and you're doing things like concrete things, singing, listening, praying, and you are sort of, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to speak about these things, but on the, I think in a, in your most healthy state, what you're doing in a way is like drawing back the curtain and um, becoming aware of what's really true and what's eternal and that it's all, it's already here and now. Um, and, and he said that to me and I was like, well, you know, um, I think you're ready for baptism, right? You know, because this, because of the Grove, we have, um, families who want to baptize their infants and that was, you know, what we chose in my family and, and yours. Um, and then we have other families who say, you know, I would like my child to be dedicated, but I want, um, I want them to be able to choose baptism for themselves and both ways are faithful. And, um, and so this young man had not been baptized, had been dedicated, but not baptized. And, um, it was really beautiful to say like that, that sense that you have, that you are swimming in the love of God, that, you know, that's what it means to be baptized, to say, I want to be sealed in that water and that water of life and that water of love and that water of covenant. And I, and I want to be part of this forever. And I want to celebrate, um, what God is doing. And, um, so anyway, so then he was baptized this past Sunday and, Again, like I just, um, I don't know. I don't ever want to be a pastor who is not astonished by just the um, the beauty and the vulnerability and the um, faith of of that moment um, and what we believe in that as a community, what is most sacred to us, the most sacred manifestations of our Lord, our, you know, water in a shared meal and that these are the embodiments of the glory of God. Um, anyway, so that those, yeah, that was just a, a good, um, deeply joyful and meaningful, um, holy moments. And I'm really astonished. I'm just astonished that we get this life, right? It's just such yeah. a beautiful life. It makes me think about several things. Number one, um, all those times in the book of Psalms, when the psalmist says something like, I am so grateful to be in God's presence with God's people, mm -hmm. right? So it wasn't this solitary experience but it's it's to be in the context of of god's people experiencing the presence of god uh, that that was important to the psalmist um, and it what you have highlighted and and my story with matthew is significant in this time post-covid quote-unquote post-covid uh, when attendance, church attendance is down dramatically. Um, there's a sense um, with many people that the church isn't needed. The, the, the physical presence, being with people isn't needed. That is the second time I've hit that box while <laughs> we've been talking. 
um, I don't know, there, there's something about that story, that um, the, the story you just told about the, the child and, and baptism, that just brings me back to the privilege of not only being a pastor, but just to be with God's people and to gather regularly. I think it's something, you know, we, we realized when we were in quarantine that we mm-hmm. take it for granted. But I still feel that when we gather on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. and there are a lot of names and faces that we miss seeing, whether they simply didn't come back or they have, you know, gone to some other place, there, there is something really real and painful among us. Um, I think we're grieving a loss of, of people um, and being connected to people when it comes to the expression of faith. Well, like, and I, yeah, I think there's just, there are very few times that we gather in community in a non-transactional way, right? Just for the sheer joy of um, being in the presence of God together and knowing that there are ways that, um, you know, we have an intimate and personal relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, with with Jesus, with the Spirit of Jesus, but there's also just ways that we know God in community that we can't in 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 solitariness and and it's not an either or it is a both and but there's just you know it it is um it is un it's incontrovertible that there's something communal about our relationship with god and that's hard i think for americans because we have such an individualistic culture that we just like i don't want my relationship at with god to be at all dependent on you I want to have sole responsibility and yes. control over um, the quality of my relationship with God. And and there's just an interdependence that is inescapable by design um, because, because of the nature of God's love and God's design for reality. Um, and as a church leader, I'm very careful to not manipulate people into church This this is not a guilt thing. But on the other hand, I do want to say you're missing something. Well, I think we, you know, I also think there's just a reality. Like I think about this little boy and his choice for baptism and, and part of the way he experienced the love of God was being in this physical community, right? Like, and, and also I think, you know, you and I, and this is our shared calling, there's something about, um, a multi, a multi-ethnic community in this particular place, in this nation with its history, there's something, um, transformative and, um, uh, you know, there's a proclamation inherent in um, persevering and struggling and sacrificing um, in trying to be part of a community that defies um, the history um, and the woundedness and seeking reconciliation and a unity that doesn't erase 
um, but that transforms. And so I, yeah, I think there's just a, um, you know, but when we individualize our faith, then we also say, um, you know, my, I'm not my brother's keeper and that, and, and that's a hard thing. Um, that's a, that's a, but I do think it's really tough because what you don't want is for people to feel responsible. Like that's where we started this conversation, um, that we're not responsible for other people's faith. And yet we are, you know, we are impactful, um, in terms of how we see one another and, and how we're willing to show up for one another. Like I do think like weddings for me are tough. Um, but I, I think there's just something so beautiful about people showing up for a wedding just to bear witness to joy. Right. Um, and, and, you know, the flip side in a funeral, like people showing up for a worship service at a funeral, just to say, you're not alone in your pain. But in reality, that's what we're doing every Sunday. When we gather, we're showing up to bear witness to joy and we're showing up to, um, you know, bear one another's burdens and all because we are saying with our physical bodies, we belong to one another and we belong to God. And, um, anyway, so that's, wow. Last night we were having some conversation about, um, going beyond being a multi-ethnic church mm -hmm. to becoming intercultural yeah. What that means, we don't want we don't want to have different people, uh, different ethnicities in the room, but be monocultural as a Correct. congregation. Yes. And so uh, we turned our attention to um, Christmas and mm -hmm. how we decorate the sanctuary. Nice. And I suggested, why don't we do some research about mm -hmm. other cultural traditions, and let's, even though. All those people won't be in the room, uh, but let's let's decorate this year with a little bit of African, a little um, Asian, and a little European, and a little Latin. Let, let's let's make it look like Christmas worldwide. And as I watched faces on the Zoom call, I could just see elders light up like, "Oh, we've we've never thought about." Mm -hmm. doing that because one elder was saying hey um i need some people to help me pull out the tree and you know we'll get the decorations from last year that we've used for the past 30 years and it's like well what if what if we did it this way and um yeah and so just to circle back it's this whole idea of we are we are forming and we are being formed by a community that shapes how we experience God. Mm -hmm. And um, I asked the question uh, to our elders last night, what if people walked into the worship space at Dorita Church and their first thought was, everybody is welcome here. Mm -hmm. Everybody is welcome here. If that's their first impression, that would also say to them, oh, God welcomes me here. Right, right. And, you know, it's this very um, beautiful and non-threatening foundational truth that I am welcome here, but not only me. Right. Yes. And I think that's really important. Like that's, I think it's really important 
um, it's sacred for people to think about Jesus, God made flesh, and to imagine Jesus in flesh that looks like their own, right? Like that's part of it. But it's really important alongside that to know Jesus also is incarnate in flesh that's not like mine and in culture that's not like mine and that that's we don't huge. own that. I mean, it's interesting. I have a a connection on social media who's part of a, um, a congregation that is um, different, just a more traditional evangelical congregation. And currently this person is um, on a mission uh, trip to share the gospel in another country with a very different culture. And this person was sharing um, photos and updates from their trip. And, you know, I really um, honor the idea that people want to take scripture seriously and want to take the Great Commission seriously. And I certainly, you know, I recognize that I do a lot of foolish bonehead things that are limited by my own understanding and, you know, God works in my weakness. And so I'm under no illusions that my love and understanding of Jesus isn't flawed and problematic because I know it is. I just don't know. It's just easier to see. <laughs> it's easier to see a, a, other people's life than it sure. is to see your own. But I, but I was really troubled because this person who I admire and, and really don't question their sincerity and the, and the sincerity of the Lord at work in their life, um, but was talking about being in this other country, in this other city, and um, saying that they were around a worshiping community, a Christian worshiping community, and said... Although this, these people acknowledge Jesus, you can just feel the absence of the Holy Spirit. And hmm. I mean, I want to point out that I have had thoughts like that, like being in other faith communities and just, you know, having my own feelings <laughs> and attributing those feelings to the judgment of God. I mean, like, I just think that's a very human thing, but I think it's really troubling to go to another country, to a culture that is different than your own, and then believe that the Holy Spirit isn't there. Um, and I think it's really hard um, to recognize that God is God of the whole earth and we are part of a global church and having those kinds of connections is really healing and life-giving but the the posture that you of your heart really matters and of course it's easy to look at somebody who's in another place and say oh look look how they are thinking and but then also to recognize I, I think like that. I talk like that. I just do it in spaces where I think it's okay to have that kind of judgment about, you know, sure, you're acknowledging Jesus, but the spirit of Jesus just isn't in this place. And I, I know because, you know, I don't feel whatever. Um, so I think 
you know, it's just really important sometimes to recognize that um, the same Lord and the same Spirit are in places and manifested in ways that, that feel different to the kind of intimacy you know, and that doesn't mean it's not it's not the Holy Spirit, right? And 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 that's a really um, hard line to walk because you want to, um, cause my sheep know my voice. And so you just want to believe that everyone knows Jesus the way I know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus the way I know Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. Then something is wrong with the and, way you know Jesus. And, um, and also, you know, I do think that there are, there is a concrete revelation about, um, the nature of the kingdom of God. <laughs> and there are certainly people um, proclaiming Jesus in a way that I would say, yeah, that's outside of the character of God. And, you know, just, I don't know, but I mean, having that deep sense, I think it comes back to knowing that when the Micah says, Hey, what God requires us is not just doing justice and not just loving kindness and not just walking with God, but walking humbly with God um, I mean, that's the real, the real challenge. And, um, when it comes to, I mean, when it comes to any walk of faith, but particularly if you are trying to be part of a healthy multi-ethnic intercultural community and, um, and yeah. So, so what are you thinking about? I mean, all that stuff well, uh, that I just said. <laughs> I thought about. that's what you were talking No, about. I mean, it is. It is. What are you thinking about? You know what? I'm thinking about something that I don't want to think about. <laughs> I'm just going to let you go. Like, I'm trying to get it out of my head. But you can't. But I can't. And I am at the same time irritated and seeking to have a place of compassion. And that is all this stuff around Kanye West and his White Lives Matter shirt. and it, it, So you're going to give people the backstory. Well, yes. He, so he was, what, at a fashion event, I believe in Paris? I think for his own fashion for line. For his own fashion line. Uh, I think he fired his publicist or something like that. And um, he wore... Um, a shirt that on the back that had white lives matter. And of course there are photographs everywhere. And I think he even had some of his models um, wear it as well. And uh, it's just so, it's just so disappointing because you know, the whole white lives matter hashtag was created in response to black lives matter which was a response to police brutality in the black community. And so the White Lives Matter is, is white supremacy trolling um, uh, this very legitimate, real issue in, in the black community. Okay, can I um, say a word to people who might just be thinking, okay, I don't understand because isn't it true that white lives matter to God, right? So, and I, I mean, and I just think like to, to understand that some people would ask that question tongue in cheek 
and just to, but some people are really saying like, if you're a white person, you're saying like, wait, am I, am I, do I need to believe that my life doesn't matter in order to acknowledge that black lives do matter? Right. So I think it is, there, there is a space where some people are saying I can recognize that in this country in particular and globally in terms of the whole history of colonization, that people whose skin has more melanin in it have often been seen as more animal than Disposable. human and they have been viewed as um, transactional and so people have justified just um, you know egregious theft and brutality and violence um, because of white supremacy because they have believed that people with white skin matter more than people without white skin. And so then the phrase black lives matter was created in response to, I, it, I can't remember the particular, if it was a Tatiana Jefferson, if it, I mean, it was certainly not George Floyd because it was pre George Floyd. It was not Michael Brown, but just, you know, people in the age of cell phones finally began to see what used to be hidden, which is police officers char of, of multiple races, police officers charged with um, ordering, with serving and protecting, maintaining public order by just brutally um, beating and killing people with black skin. And the justification is always, um, well, this person wasn't complying. This person wasn't showing respect to me. I felt this threatened. I felt threatened. And so whereas a police officers really often will put their lives in great danger when they are dealing with an uncertain situation with a white person there, when they are dealing with an uncertain situation or fear and there's a black person, often they, they would um, respond in a very different way in terms of the way they use force and the way they use deadly force. And so what the movement was about when saying Black Lives Matter is to say you, the police, um, the standard procedure in police forces around the country is that white lives matter. And so we can't risk unjustly killing white people or using violence against white people, but black lives don't matter. And so we can just do whatever and no one cares. And so it was this statement, which is really kind of astonishing in its humility of just saying black lives matter too, essentially. Um, it is equal to signs made during the civil rights movement in this country where the sanitation workers right. in Memphis held signs in protest saying, I am a man. Right. It's, it's simply affirming humanity. Humanity. Right. right. And so, and it, and, and to say white lives matter in response to black lives matter would be like having seen on the news, let's say over several months, a series of news stories about rape, right? Mm -hmm. And then men start saying, well, 
Me Too or yeah, <laughs> Male I, Lives Matter. It, it, it's just a way of taking away from the real issue. Well, I think one way that I've heard people explain it that I think is helpful is it's like showing up at a breast cancer awareness or fundraiser event and saying, um, well, uh, homeless people matter, right? I mean, it's, it's a way of saying like, you know, this can't, you can't care about this um, because it's unfair to people who have other burdens, right? And so I just think, but I, but I do understand that, you know, you and I, like, A, we have the privilege because of our congregations that we we really swim in this stuff all the time. We, we think about it all the time. We read about it all the time. We follow it really closely. And not everybody has the privilege of that kind of time. Um, and I, I suppose I should say, you know, and white people often, like, you don't have to think about it unless you want to, right? And so I think... Um, it, well, last night in our elders meeting... You know, one of the things I said to our board was if we wanted to, we could take on both a frame of mind and a series of practices that is how we live out our life together that begins to shield us from these hard issues. Mm -hmm. We don't have to think about them. We don't have to look at them. But if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, that we must lean into hard and painful things. Mm -hmm. And by saying white lives matter, it gives white people a way to ignore systemic racism. Yeah, I mean, I think of the story, and help me because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess it up. But about La- Lazarus and the, his rich neighbor and sort of after death, you know, Lazarus is in paradise and the rich man is not. And he calls up to Jesus and says, you know, G- give me a cup of water. I'm suffering. And, and you know, Lazarus is enjoying paradise. And, and he says, well, let me just send Lazarus to go and warn my brothers. Right. And Jesus is like, no, you know, they have Moses and the prophets. They know what my agenda is. They know. And, um, but I think it's sort of this idea of like the, the rich man is suffering. His life matters, but Jesus is saying, Hey, Lazarus's suffering has been commodified and ignored throughout life. And it's not acceptable it's not acceptable in the kingdom of God. And it's not that you say like, well, since Lazarus' life or since the rich man's life matters, that just means Lazarus has to continue to suffer forever because, you know, I mean. And the truth is that if the rich man had paid attention to the suffering of Lazarus, he would not, would not have, have been. Yes. Yeah, right. And I think that's the bottom line is to mm-hmm. say white people, I, I mean, I think all people, to some extent, are at risk of police brutality just because we live in a culture of redemptive violence. Um, But white people are not experiencing carrying the same level of risk of police violence and mass incarceration that people of color are. So to say, hey, let's look at 
how we how we use violence, how we worship violence in this culture, how we fear one another and commodify human bodies. Let's look at the fact that slavery isn't abolished in our country. It's just limited to those who are in prison. And oh, by the way, we have a for-profit prison industrial complex. So um, there's a built-in incentive to keep on imprisoning people that is baked into capitalism. Um, but to say we, we want to look at all of those things, but we want to look at them soberly and recognize that right now our society already understands that white lives matter. Our society does not need to be encouraged to see the value of white lives. Our society does need to be encouraged that and, and instructed and exhorted that black lives matter. That is something that many spaces of our public life um, just don't don't value. Um, they might put it on a slogan, but um, not actually looking at practices that destroy the lives of black people and saying, hey, we might be comfortable with these, but we need to redesign them because these lives that are being destroyed are holy and valuable. And so, so, so this is the sort of crash course as to why white lives matter is a problematic slogan, because I can understand that if you're not following um, the racial justice movement, it might feel really threatening to have someone be offended by a slogan that says that your life matters. Of course, your life matters. Well, and part of the lie that white supremacy is offering white people these days in this country, and not only here, but in, in other places right. as well, is that number one, if black and brown people outnumber you, you are in trouble. You will be persecuted. You will be marginalized. They will do to you what you have, what your ancestors have done in the past. And so uh, you had best be ready to defend yourself. Right. That, that, is, that is the lie. And I think we've lived in a system where white lives were prioritized over black lives, the idea being that black lives are an inherent threat to white lives. And so people think, well, if black lives begin to matter, doesn't that mean that white lives will stop mattering, it's a right? very either or thinking. Right, and that's just a dualistic Western post-enlightenment kind of mindset that really believes in scarcity and believes in violence and believes that there's not a way that we can live in shalom in creation under God, but just believes that some people are inherent threats, whether whatever ethnic group that is, instead of saying like, no, there is a way that we can seek reconciliation and repair and healing and live in a space where it truly would be that all lives are matter and those values are encoded in our institutions, but that's not where we are right now. So Kanye wore a shirt and Kanye, I should clarify, because not everyone follows pop culture and music culture. I mean, Kanye is a black man. Oh, yes. Yes. Just in case people Just in case. didn't know Just that. And so, um, so he was in Paris, uh, and, and he's a very wealthy man, and he has a lot of privilege and access, and he was wearing the shirt that said, White Lives Matter. Yeah. So, you know, on, on the one hand... Um, Someone like me reads that as self-hatred. Mm -hmm. Also, I read it as, oh, I'm going to use this wedge to even further 
my privilege. Mm-hmm. And I also think this is a person with some mental health issues that, and, and that's my place of compassion for him. He has some problems, and this isn't the first time, um, you know, as, as someone in um, the African-American commu- community said, we like his work in terms of his music, but this other side of his life, it, it, he's got some problems. And so we have tried to both kind of hold him close and affirm him um, in hopes that, okay, the, the, uh, I'm trying not to use the word, um, there's, there's a word I'm trying not to use, this, this uh, the sideshow, the, the strange acts, the strange things that he says and does, that that would decrease over time, and it's not happening. There's also a sense that he's just, he's just trolling us all, <laughs> that in some sense he knows what he's doing, and so we just have this, this kind of ambivalent, love-hate, push-pull relationship with him, and personally, I'm just, I'm, it's just making me tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm almost over it. Well, I think one thing is it's helpful for me just to recognize that as a white person, I can just listen. (laughs) Um, And also, I talk a lot um, in all kinds of places, including here, about how much I um, really appreciate the work of Pete Scazzaro um, and one of the things he talks about is just that that limits um, are a gift from God. And so what I think is part of it is, um, you know, people who attain that level of wealth and power and status really um, live limitless lives. And I think one thing I see, and it's not unique to... Um, it's not unique to Kanye West. I think I see it across the board. It's just how toxic and unhealthy it is to have a limitless life. Um, and I think, you know, that's not to, I mean, that's just something I see in general, um, that it's really hard to be healthy in a limitless life. And it is hard to be healthy, um, when people treat you like a God. And I think you see that, just in, in so many, you know, you see it in, we talked about Brett Favre last week and, you know, Tommy Tuberville and uh, and just all kinds of people who have a, have a, who are the object of mass adoration. And so, you know, there's really no limit on what they say and what they do and whether or not they can get what they want. And I just think it is, um, it's, it, it is, it, it makes you soul sick. Um, and so that I think is really hard. And that's, you know, my place of um, compassion, I think is just, you know, what we do to people in general, when we put them up on pedestals, um, we just give them a level of power and authority that is un- 
it's unhealthy for everyone, but it's particularly unhealthy for them. And the other thing I'm wrestling with is that, you know, in the black community, we, we are, um, we, we have much more of a collective sense than in other communities, than in other communities. And so when someone behaves badly or behaves poorly, we see it as a representative of all of us. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> comedians will joke, right? When, when, when there's a, a news story in a particular city, right? We, we hope that the person that's interviewed on the street represents us well, right? <laughs> Sounds mm-hmm. good and whatever. Um, and so, yeah, part of what I'm wrestling with is what, what, what does this say about all of us? And I, I, I don't know. I, I'm just really wrestling with not only, um, you know, someone like Kanye, but, um, you know, in this country, in this um, election season, you know, a Herschel Walker, um, there, there are all these, these uh, Candace Owen, you know, there, there are these people who um, seem to be on a path in life that, well, it's just harming us. Well, and I, and I think this is, it reminds me, sometimes I just think in biblical stories, I mean, it reminds me of the way that Jesus and the temptation is essentially offered that path by the enemy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I will make you a source of limitless um, provision for people. I will put you up on top of this temple and make you a spectacle that will inspire awe. I will make give you sort of absolute authority over people. And And Jesus says, you know, Jesus says no, because that, while it looks good, it isn't good for people or you know, that's just not the way that the kingdom comes. And I think we often just think, well, if I have a good thing, more of a good thing is more of a good thing. And, and I, I think, you know, what the gospels really seem to be pointing out in this language about small and the narrow way and the hidden and seeking is that they're just... Um, there, that the power of God works in weakness, it works in hiddenness, it works in what is small, that that's where God is glorified. And, um, you know, in these expansive spaces, we really see um, idolatry, and I'm not speaking about Kanye particularly, but like our culture's idolatry exposed. Like we are, we want power, and we want wealth, and we want comfort and ease. And we want, you know, easy answers to, um, you know, really painful reality and, and just the Holy Spirit's not in those things. So, Well, maybe the answer then uh, to this situation or, or one good response is what we were saying earlier about people in the church and our children. You, you commend them to the grace of God because mm-hmm. you can't control them can't manipulate them, can't make them do anything in particular. And so you make space mm-hmm. for God to um, speak to them, uh, work with them, work on them, transform their lives. Yeah, and I think, you know, to sort of say it's helpful to look when something is in the public consciousness, like um, what happened with the White Lives Matter t-shirt, it's important to be able to say, hey, we can talk about how this represents powers and principalities um, and the battle between 
the kingdom of God and the world that's passing away. And we can do that without demonizing any of the individual people who are involved, sure. right? Because no one involved in the story is our enemy and no one involved in the story is, is not a beloved child of God. And to come back full circle, no one involved in this story is, is, is not someone that the Holy Spirit is active and at work in their yeah, life. That, and so, that's actually really helpful because it's making me think of that place in Scripture um, where the Apostle Paul says, um, we take every thought captive and make mm-hmm. it obedient to Christ. And it really is about a clear understanding of what's happening in the world with these various ideologies and how they are are for or against kingdom living for or against Christ. And we can talk about what's happening without joining it by demonizing a person. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, well, we should stop talking because I'm going to be late because this is just my life. That's (laughs) right. My friends are important people and you have things to do and places to go. Okay, well, anyway, thanks so much for listening this week. If you want to find out more about what God is doing at Derrida Church, it's spelled D-E-R-I-T-A, and the website is derridachurch.faithlifesites.com. Gosh, I feel so good. And uh, you can also check out their YouTube channel and their um, podcast. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at The Grove, you can go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org. You can check out our YouTube channel and our podcast for messages. And you can join us for worship at 10. You can join Derrida for worship at 11. Um, Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week.